Welcome to Caldwell Madison Review, episode 55. The only podcast in the world who just found out he's recording with a bad DC offset. Whatever that means. Well, actually, I didn't just find out. It's been going on for a couple episodes. Technical difficulties. But if you can't hear the difference, then it doesn't matter. It is Thursday, April 13th, 2017. We are live at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, as always. This lovely song you're hearing here is called Professor Umlaut by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can check out his website for royalty-free music and graph paper. We're coming up on the weekend hope everybody has been having a good week so far. I'm looking forward to the weekend. And it would be Easter weekend, correct? Details, details. Yeah, Easter weekend and... Possibly a holiday for you. If you live in the United States on Monday, I think... The people I talked to overseas recently said they also have off Monday this week. So if you're one of those people, cheers to a day off of work. Lots of interesting news since the last show on Monday. And by the way, as we are a live show, you can call in. The number to call in is 602-753-3005, 602-753-3005, or 3005, that's your thing. Yeah, all the news, well, most of the news for this show is probably going to be war stuff. Because that's what's been going around. A couple breaking stories today and then some other articles I'd like to go over. Later on, including Putin and Assad statements of the attack in Syria with the 59 Tomahawk missiles. Trump's comments on further action in Syria, or lack thereof. Tillerson meeting with Putin. And some other fun news, such as a WWE star getting (sighs) molested at, at an airport by TSA. Allegedly, an update with the, uh, Trump wiretapping thing, news in Iran, and an update with the United Airlines, 
fiasco that happened. But first, two new stories, one in Afghanistan, one in North Korea. And we'll begin. The first uh, is in order as it happened. Article on CNN titled, First on CNN, U.S. Drops Largest Non-Nuclear Bomb in Afghanistan. By Barbara Starr and Ryan Brown. CNN. Read a little bit from the article here. U.S. military dropped America's most powerful non-nuclear bomb on ISIS targets in Afghanistan Thursday. The first time this type of weapon has been used in battle, according to U.S. officials. A GBU-43 forward slash B Massive Ordnance Air Blast Bomb, or MOAB, nicknamed the mother of all bombs, so yes, MOAB, was dropped at 7.32 p.m. local time, Afghanistan, according to four U.S. military officials with direct knowledge of the mission. A MOAB is a 30-foot-long, 21,000 600-pound GPS-guided munition. I'm looking at my time zone map here. I think Afghanistan is all one time zone, but I could be wrong on that. The time zone map map I'm looking at is a uh, Chinese-made something or other mouse pad (laughs) with uh, typos on it. And inconsistent fonts anyway it happened at 732 their time that's the important part uh this moab sounds like an interesting missile i haven't heard a lot about it 30 foot long 21 thousand pounds sounds like a pretty big missile i'm going to type into a search engine what does a moab cost How many dollars per pounds? Here we go. Here's an article seven hours ago. Just searched and found for now. Called from uh, this website called the squander.com. And on their logo is a, uh, it looks like a, the squander written in some kind of dollar type font. That, w- that you would see on a, a dollar bill anyway. And the S, or underneath the S uh, in the logo, it says, what a waste. The S is kind of supposed to represent a dollar symbol, I think. How much does the mother of all bombs, the non-nuclear GBU-43 forward slash B, massive ordnance air bomb, cost? I know I'm kind of going off the rails a little bit here, but thought it'd be some nice trivia. Last minute. Let me see if I can skip down a little bit uh, and just find get right to the answer. The, given the complexity, the project was not cheap. In fact, the C-130 plane just used to deliver the bomb cost around $30 million. Well, that's the plane. Let's see, weight of a school bus. That's the bomb. Development cost a billion. Here we go. Here's the answer at the bottom of the article, of course. Just like the 
milk and steak and chicken is at the end of the grocery store so you have to walk past all the other stuff <laughs> um so how much is the moab largest non-nuclear bomb or the mother of all bombs cost according to this article here on the squander each mother of all bombs device costs 16 million u.s dollars there are fewer than two dozen of the devices in existence according to the maker the total production cost is around 320 million usd which I guess doesn't really make any sense to me. It says each device costs $60 million, and it says the total production cost is $320 million USD. At least I don't understand that. Seems like kind of weird wording. I'm going to open up this other article here on thefiscaltimes.com. Maybe I can get a more clear answer. Here's how much the mother of all bombs costs. By Jacqueline Leo. Article released today. Looks like it has the same information. It took $314 million to develop and has a unit cost of $16 million. So maybe that billion that the other article was referring to was the entire project, the development, and all the missiles. Still less than the, well, if, this, if it's $16 million, it's less than the 59 Tomahawk missiles, which I understand costs $100 million. The funniest way I heard it put was exploding money, if you're like me. <laughs> okay, well, there is a little bit difference in these two articles. One says the production was $320 million on the squander, and the Fiscal Times says it's... Or the squander says $320 million, the Fiscal Times says 314 Guess it's not that big of a difference. Well, I'll read a little bit more from the CNN article here. See if there's anything worth noting. President Donald Trump called it Another successful job, later Thursday, the bomb was dropped by an MC-130 aircraft stationed in Afghanistan and operated by Air Force Special Operations Command, Pentagon spokesman Adam Stump told CNN. The official said the target was an ISIS cave and tunnel complex and personnel to uh, in the uh, Achen district of... Um, Nangarhar province, a remote area in the country's east, which borders Pakistan. Quote, the United States takes the fight against ISIS very seriously. In order to defeat the group, we must deny them operational space, which we did. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said Thursday the strike, quote, targeted a system of tunnels and cave that ISIS fighters used to move around freely. Uh, Afghanistan Ambassador Hamdullah Mohib told CNN's Brooke Baldwin that the bomb dropped after fighting had intensified over last week between U.S. Special Forces and Afghan troops against ISIS. So, in case you thought the Afghanistan war was over, or the Iraq one, was never really over, of course. 
Now, there wasn't ever uh, a... Well, there was somewhat of a troop withdrawal, but... Not so much. Not completely. So, yeah, from my understanding, that was the first time ever... One of those was ever dropped. And the other news... The other breaking news... U.S. may launch strike if North Korea reaches for a nuclear trigger. Article on NBCNews.com by William M. Arkin and Cynthia McFadden and Kenzie Abu Sabe. Or Sabe. Oh, yeah. Article pertaining to the or following the constant rhetoric between North Korea and the United States. North Korea issuing some threats. I'll read a little bit from the article. The U.S. is prepared to launch a preemptive strike with conventional weapons against North Korea should officials become convinced that North Korea is about to follow through with a nuclear weapons test, multiple senior intelligence officials told NBC News. North Korea has warned that a, quote, big event is near and the U.S., Officials say signs point to a nuclear test that could come early as this weekend. The intelligence officials told NBC News that the U.S. has positioned two destroyers capable of shooting Tomahawk cruise missiles in the region, one just 300 miles from the North Korean nuclear test site. American heavy bombers are also positioned in Guam to attack North Korea should it be necessary and earlier this week. The Pentagon announced that the USS Carl Vinson aircraft carrier strike group was being diverted to the area. The US could or the US strike could include missiles and bombs, cyber and special operations on the ground. The danger of such an attack by the US is that it could provoke a volatile and unpredictable North Korean regime or the Volatile and unpredictable North Korean regime to launch its own blistering attack on its southern neighbor. Skipping down a little bit in the article here, U.S. officials are aware of the risk. Quote, two things are coming together this weekend, said retired Admiral James Stavridis. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, former commander of NATO and NBC analyst. One is the distinct possibility of the of a sixth North Korean nuclear weapons detonation, and the other is an American carrier strike group, a great deal of firepower headed right at the Korean peninsula. The U.S. is aware that simply preparing an attack, even if it will only be launched if there is an imminent North Korean action, increases the danger of provoking a large conflict, multiple sources told NBC News. It's high stakes, said the official. We are trying to communicate our level of concern and the existence of many military options to dissuade the North first. So, yeah, hold tight. We'll see here. As I've always said, North Korea... uh, North Korean threats are never... aren't anything new. They've shown act of violence... Violent aggression in the past, shooting missiles at ships at either Japan or South Korea. I believe they sank a South Korean ship not too long ago. If my memory serves me correctly. 
So we'll see how far they take it, this uh, Kim Jong-un, or un, or whatever it is. It seems a little bit crazier and more arrogant and uh, uh, not as cautious as maybe his father was. Not that he was completely sane the way it was. And I don't think it's very common for leaders such as that to just willingly give up power. Not that they would have to if they just kept their mouths shut, but this one likes to make nuclear threats. And we'll see what happens there, and hopefully the South Koreans will stay safe. I mentioned before that China has moved 150-some thousand troops to the border, possibly in preparation for refugees fleeing. Donald Trump had his talk with the Chinese president. And uh, who knows what exactly was said or communicated. But China seems, seems to me anyway that they are... Still an ally with North Korea, but uh, not as eager to come to their defense as they may have been in the past. North Korea seems to be a thorn in China's side as well, according to many opinions I've heard. Now speaking of war, let's check Donald Trump's tweets. I'll get more on the Syrian thing. Seems to be some mixed messages, but we'll, I'll get to that in a minute here. Here's a tweet from 12 hours ago. Things will work out fine between the USA and Russia. At the right time, everyone will come to their senses and there will be lasting peace. Another one, I have great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea. If they are unable to do so, the US and its allies will do. USA is another one from... 12 hours ago. So two tweets from Donald Trump that appear optimistic that major conflicts will be avoided. Which I guess is, <laughs> is better than a World War III talk. And then, and then back to his normal jobs type tweets here. From yesterday, jobs are returning, illegal immigration is plummeting. Law, order, and justice are being restored. We are truly making America great again. And another one, one and one, or see, one but one by one, we are keeping our promises on the border, energy, jobs, regulations, big changes are happening. And some more economy tweets. One congratulating Ron Estes, winning Congress. Here's one from April 12th yesterday. Had a good call last night with President of China concerning the menace of North Korea. <laughs> so some pretty strong words. You know, for once, Donald Trump is keeping it more classy than John McCain. What did John McCain call Kim Jong-un? He called him a crazy fat kid, I believe. So let's go, let's go back to this serious stuff because there's been some developments here. Now, there are uh, statements from both Putin and Assad. And I'll go to Putin first. There's an article on 
Infowars.com. Putin's Syrian chemical attack was false flag. More coming. There's a video here. Um, so here's like, yeah, so. This article by Steve Watson. Read a little bit from here. Russian President Vladimir Putin has claimed that the recent chemical attack in Idlib, Providence in Syria, was false flag operation and that more provocations are being prepared. This is an article from Tuesday. We have reports from multiple sources. This is a quote. Quote, we have reports from multiple sources that false flags like this one, and I cannot call it otherwise, are being prepared in other parts of Syria, including the southern suburbs of Damascus, Putin said during a joint press conference with Italian President Sergio Mattarella in Moscow. Quote, they plan to plant some chemicals there and accuse Syrian government of an attack, Putin told media representatives, adding that he has, quote, trusted sources. Putin went on to compare the situation in Syria to Saddam Hussein's non-existent weapons of mass destruction, indicating that he may believe that the U.S. is either behind the false flag or at least activity, or actively, rather, pushing such propaganda where anti-government rebels in Syria carried out the attack. Quote, President Mattarella, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I discussed it and I told him that this reminds me uh, strongly of events in 2003 where the U.S. representatives demonstrated at the U.N. Security Council session that presumed chemical weapons found in Iraq, Putin said. The military campaign was subsequently launched in Iraq and it ended with the devastation of the country, the growth and or of the terrorist threat and the appearance of Islamic State on the world stage, end quote. So, and others... In the U.S., I think, you know, even I think it appears to be some type of false flag. Just looking at motive and the position that Assad was in and the eyes on him, it would definitely seem uh, unlikely. Though you can never tell who is, I think, Mike Savage kind of brought up something too. That it wasn't that syringe gas. Had it been the uh, crews that were doing the the efforts to you know, help the help the victims and everything else, we're not wearing the proper gear to be dealing with that. And had had uh, and had that been syringe gas, they would have been dead on the spot, according to him, and. There are some there. I think there were two other suspected uh, gas that, that they thought it was. Um, so the thought was that there was a building holding this gas. The building was blown up by whoever. Nobody knows. Although some people think they have the answer, uh, they win carry the gas into a village. Are killing men, uh, men, women, and children. I thought one of the gas, suspected gases, might have been chlorine. 
Well, let's uh, let's move on to Assad here. He's got a statement as well. I got two articles. One on the Associated Press or the Agency Francais Presse. Um, oh, you know what? I have two of the same article just on different sources. So, same text here. AFP.com series of sizes chemical attack 100% fabrication. Syrian President Bashar Assad said in a, uh, said a suspected chemical weapons attack was a fabrication to justify a U.S. military strike as Moscow digs in to defend its ally despite increasing strains with Washington. In an exclusive interview with AFP in Damascus, his first since the alleged April 4th attack prompted a U.S. airstrike in on Syrian forces, Assad said his army had given up all his chemical weapons and that Syrian military firepower was not affected by the U.S. strike. Quote, definitely 100% for us, it's fabrication, he said in an interview on Wednesday of the alleged chemical weapons attack. Quote, our impression is that the West, mainly the United States, is hand in glove with the terrorists. They fabricated the whole story to have a pretext for the attack. Western leaders, well, end quote, Western leaders, including U.S. President Donald Trump, have accused Assad of being or being behind last week's attack in the rebel-held town of Khan Shikun, possibly Shikun, saying his forces unleashed a chemical weapon during an airstrike. The suspected attack killed at least 87 people, including many children, and images of the dead and suffering victims provoked global outrage. Spokesman Mark Toner ridiculed the Syrians' present comments to AFP, describing them as vintage Assad. Quote, it's an attempt by him to throw up false flags, create confusion. So, uh, he would have been pretty stupid to pull that himself. Either way, he got uh, bombed for it. So, follow up there. New York Post article. Trump, quote, we're not going into Syria. This is from April 11th. Tuesday, he made complaints that his aides are saying different things about Syria and his policy is confusing. President Trump empathetically cleared the air. Quote, we're not going into Syria. He told me yesterday in an exclusive interview, this is an article written by Michael Goodwin. Quote, our policy is the same. It hasn't changed. We're not going into Syria. President speaking by phone Tuesday called Syrian... President Bashar al-Assad, a butcher and a barbarian for using Syrian gas on his own people, was said last week's successful missile strike was not the start of a campaign to oust the dictator. Our big mission was, or is getting rid of ISIS, Trump said, where it's always been, 
but when you see the kids choking to death, you watch their lungs burning out. We had to hit them hard. He called the attack, which involved 59 cruise missiles fired from two Navy destroyers, an act of humanity. Now, if you're familiar with the news before any kind of strike, um, pictures of the victims are pretty common. I think uh, news outlets are more prone to show pictures of dead children from attacks like that, from regimes they see as enemies versus dead children of terrorist attacks in the United States and Europe. As many have pointed out. Just reading a little bit more here. We hope, uh, there's a quote from him, we hope he won't do any more gassing. I think I pointed out before that past gas attacks that were blamed on Assad, whether they, they were him or they weren't, were never proven to be his or from him or ordered by him or his regime. Could be multiple. It could be effort from either. You know, it could be Assad himself, and it's, it's speculated it could be a deep state, quote deep state type of attack to provoke intervention. Assad is not seen as friendly to the world order. Kind of living by his own rules and using his own banking type system. He has oil. So there are motives. <clears throat> there are motives there. I mean, it would seem that there'd be more motives for a false flag type situation than Assad to use it himself, knowing the scrutiny he would get or how closely he's being watched. Now, also having Russia on their side during these. Six long years civil war, uh, they have a little bit of an advantage. A piece of criticism I found kind of interesting on the missile attacks. Oh, I, I also uh, I was going to mention too, and of course the, the ISIS or whatever would have motive in staging a chemical attack as well to uh provoke an attack on Assad's forces. Interesting to note, though, is that Donald Trump warned Russia 30 minutes ahead of time that they were going to bomb the airfield. Which kind of leads me to think that Russia warned Syria 29 minutes before the attack that they were going to bomb the airfield. I think nine people died in it. Total out of 59 missiles. But one of the criticisms I heard was that uh, airfield was one of uh, was close to one of the uh, last remaining um, large Christian towns, so it was kind of seen as that attack would be harmful to that Christian town, given that ISIS uh, would be more prone to give it trouble. Now they they got a little bit of an advantage. With the strike against Assad. But. If Trump is being honest here. It doesn't seem like he's all that interested in. Regime change. 
which is uh, up. It makes me optimistic, and might have did this as a show of might. Uh, we'll wait to see. There is tough talk with North Korea, so uh, we're, we're gonna. I think Trump won't shy away from using military power. Uh, we'll see exactly deep how deep he goes into this uh, intervention with foreign affairs, though. It could turn into a very expensive and uh, taxing venture, to say the least. Well, on that note, Tillerson, T-Rex Tillerson, Rex Tillerson, Meets with Putin amid deepening tensions over U.S. missile strikes in Syria. Now, I saw a headline that said Putin would refuse to meet him. But I guess that's not the case. According to this article on the Washington Post, Tillerson meets with Putin amid deepening tensions over U.S. missile strikes in Syria. Article by Carol Morello and David Filipov. I'll read a little bit here, then I'm going to take a break. Come back to some other uh, non-war stories, I think. Almost. Mostly non-war stories. Moscow. The rift between the United States and Russia was laid bare Wednesday when Secretary of State Rex Tillerson held his first direct talks with Russian President. Their discussions failed to ease the deep... Excuse me. Deepening tensions over Syria and Washington demands that Moscow abandon its main Middle East ally. Quote, there is a uh, low level of trust between our countries, Tillerson said in a news conference with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. The world's two primary nuclear powers cannot have this kind of relationship. Wednesday's meeting brought no indication that the relationship would improve anytime soon after Tillerson spent three hours talking with Lavrov and almost two hours at the Kremlin with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Lavrov, sitting three feet, three feet from Tillerson, aired a long list of grievances with the United States, some dating back many years. And for, quote, unfortunately, we've got some differences with regards to a majority of those issues. Lavrov lamented. There's a video here. It's a couple minutes. Let me see if it's anything interesting. It's Rex Tillerson speaking. That might not load. I'll just continue on a little bit. <clears throat> the only concession that Tillerson appeared to have extracted from the Russians was that Putin offered to restore a hotline aimed at avoiding accidents in the air over Syria. Now, I thought they used that. I thought I read that in another article that they used that line to warn them of the attack a half hour before, so that's a little contradictory to what I thought. Unless he cut the hotline off right after that and offered to restore it, unless, or also unless uh, maybe that was a thing of the past and the United States got a hold of them 
In another manner, I'll continue to read on here, Russia has suspended that effort after the U.S. missile strikes in, on a Syrian airbase followed an April 4th chemical weapons attack on a village in a rebel territory. Even this tiny success was conditional. Lavrov said the deal would apply only if the United States and its allies targeted terrorists, not Syrian President Bashar Assad's forces. So, that article goes on a little bit more here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's pretty long. And I think everyone gets the point. I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to get into some uh, more of the uh, fun news, I guess. If there's a such thing. Um, maybe just not... Uh, Headline, headline news. So, sit tight and I'll be back in a minute. say that I'm back and you just start talking and you figure it out. Well, hey, if you'd like to call in, the number here is 602-753-3005, uh, 602-753-3005. Give a call in. Let me know what you want to talk about. Let me know what your opinions are. Call up the prank. I don't care. One thing I like to bring up too, I know I said I get up the Syria topic, but according to a lot of polls, a lot of people. Well, here here's a Paul Joseph Watson poll. Whose fans are typically anti-war? He put out two polls for approval for the Syria 
70% disapproved of that attack and 30% approved. That's Paul Joseph Watson viewers. And Paul Joseph Watson's opinions are generally anti-war too. Conservative and anti-war. Libertarian-like. Um, and I don't know what the exact polls are, but either his poll or other polls said more, more people favor the attack that happened, the Tomahawk attack, than would uh, approve of any further action. Like, they, they like that little sting, if you'd call it that. Uh, then he, he had another poll for North Korea, which is higher. 50% would approve of a North Korean strike versus 50% disapproved, so higher than the 30% approval of Syria from his viewers. And I thought that I thought of that interesting, or I thought that was interesting. This this is a difference, though. I think a lot of people, you know, even when Obama was president, they just didn't did not want to go in there. There wasn't the the accusation of the gas attack wasn't enough. And I brought up that point either last episode or the episode before that, you know, this isn't like... This wouldn't be, you know, our, our grandfather's war. Where... Germany invades Poland. And other nations saying, uh... Well, I mean, this is, this is an example that didn't happen, but Germany invades Poland. Other nations protest, and Germany says, well, it wasn't us. It was a false flag. No, I, I mean, Germany, you know, that it was more like a North Korea where, there we go with that. I always forget that. I, I my leave my screen, my screensaver goes off, and then it, Shuts the song. What was it? What point was, it, was I making? Just rambling and rambling and rambling like I always do. Um, North Korea was more like uh, you know, like a Nazi Germany. You know, they're not trying to hide it. Well, North Korea isn't invading anybody, but the point I'm trying to make is Assad is getting accused of doing these things that he's denying. You know, he's he's cowards and he's this is not me. I'm not doing it. And isn't a nation acting aggressively and uh, owning up to it or, or whatever? I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm reading again as I'm talking. Probably not making any sense. And I think just people just generally realize that trying to prop trying to prop up a regime anywhere, and especially the Middle East, is just such a waste of effort. Isn't our job? Uh, Assad is fighting the terrorists. Not that Assad is a good person at all. But he's not making threats against the United States like North Korea was. Not invading other nations and owning up to it. Like Nazi Germany was. And uh, so on and on and on and on. on. Let's uh, talk talk about uh, people getting molested by the TSA. Because what better transition 
could we have than that? WWE Diva Lena claims inappropriate TSA agents groped her at Boston Airport. A article on the Daily Mail, dailymail.co.uk. WWE Diva Lena took claimed she was violated by the Transportation Security Administration during that's the sentence doesn't make much sense the wrestling star whose real name is CJ Perry claimed during a Twitter rant that TSA agents at Boston's Boston's Logan Airport were inappropriate and she went through routine pre-flight checks she now claims that you've got uh, police involved in the incident and uh Anne's, wow, this article is written terribly. Anne's has prompted Andy. So I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I was, I was kind of questioning myself that I'm not understanding this article, and then I see a typo just a, a minute later here. And has prompted an, an apology from the airport, and her in the first tweet she wrote, quote, the most inappropriate behavior at Boston Logan TSA is doing to me. I've never felt this violated in my entire life. So she tweets that. Boston Logan Airport tweets back, we apologize for the poor treatment. You can report to STSA online here. They have a link. Article goes on to say, officials at the International Airport apologize and Perry later tweeted that a police officer had helped resolve the issue. So there's not a lot of details about what the violation was. But yeah, more bad news for the TSA. They don't seem to get a lot of fanfare. There were articles in the news recently about long lines. Of course, a wide variety of mistreatments since its inception. Criticisms of the naked body scanners to the point that they had to switch their practices, though you can never you can never tell exactly what they're doing behind the scenes, but they claim that no pictures are saved. And uh the people screening it cannot see the naked body scans of you unless an object is detected first, and then they can see. Well, speaking of airlines, let's just move on to the next one. LATimes.com United Airlines vows not to call police on passengers as CEO apologizes for fiasco. And that's to do with the overbooked flight and police ripping the passenger off the plane with the passenger screaming and returning briefly with a Bloody nose, all, all this captured on multiple videos here. From the article, United Airlines said it will no longer call on law enforcement to remove paid and seated passengers who have not agreed to give up their places on sold out flights. One of several moves the online or the airline announced Wednesday to try to quell a week of consumer outrage. The Chicago Airlines chief executive 
Oscar Munoz told ABC News Good Morning America on Wednesday morning that he felt shame when he watched the video of a passenger, Dr. David Dale, being dragged off a sold-out United flight bound for Louisville, Kentucky on Sunday by Chicago Airport Police. United said that it needed to bump for passengers to make room for airline employees who needed to travel to Louisville. The airline reported we offered $400 and a hotel stay and then $800 to passengers who, to induce them to give up their seats. When there were no volunteers, United select Dale and other passengers to get off the plane. And of course he refused, leading to a scuffle. Here's a quote. They have so destroyed the connection and trust they've built up over the years, said Eric Schiffer, chief executive of the reputation management consultants in Irvine. And it wasn't just the beatdown of a customer that everyone could project themselves being. It was uh, re the response afterward. It was so cold and done with such a lack of empathy, it made people believe they just don't care. After videos and photos of Dale's removal from the plane and generated public outrage, Munoz initially stated in a letter to employees that the 69-year-old physician from Elizabethtown, Kentucky, was, quote, belligerent, and the customer refused to comply with the request to give up his seat. Munoz apologized to Dale in subsequent statements, calling the incident a, quote, truly horrific event. In Wednesday's interview, Munoz said his initial words felt short of truly expressing what we were feeling. There's a couple other quotes here, but there's one at the bottom here. I would skip to. When asked whether he believed Dale was at fault, Munoz hesitated before saying, No, he can't be. He was a paying passenger sitting in a seat in our aircraft, and no one should be treated that way. Period. So another big story to be forgotten about soon, I'm sure. Now, I think even Saturday Night Live or, or somebody, maybe some of the light, the late night shows capitalized on it. Making fun of the situation a little bit. I don't remember. There's an article on theguardian.com. British spies were first to spot Trump's team, team's links with Russia. So kind of going, um, kind of backing up what Andrew Napolitano was saying before he was, quote, benched from Fox News. Suggesting that the NSA or other agencies of the like could bypass warrants by having the British intelligence agencies just give them the information that they wanted because they were getting it from somebody else. The scene is all legit. I'll read a little bit here. Britain's spy agencies played a crucial role in alerting their counterparts in Washington to contracts between members of Donald Trump's campaign team and Russian intelligence operatives, The Guardian has been told. GCHQ, 
as the British intelligence uh, agency first came aware in late 2005 of suspicious quote interactions between figures connected to Trump and known or suspected Russian agents. A source close to the intelligence said so figures connected to Trump and known or suspected Russian agents so therefore the wiretapping and uh, the handover to U.S. intelligence agencies this intelligence was passed to the U.S. as part of a routine exchange of information they added And the article was to say over the next six months until summer 2016, a number of Western agencies shared further information and context between Trump's inner circle and Russian sources said the European countries that passed on electronics intelligence known as SIGINT, S-I-G-I-N-T, included Germany, Estonia, Poland, Australia, a member of the Five Eyes Spying Alliance, that also includes U.S., U.K., Canada, New Zealand, also relayed material. So there you go. There's a chance you make any kind of call outside the U.S. It's probably recorded somewhere. Unless they need to suspect them as a agent of sorts first. Who knows? Uh... Oh, and then I'll end with this article here. Which caught my eye from the Associated Press. In surprise move, Iran's Ahmadinejad to run for president. So I've heard his name pronounced multiple ways from different people. Somehow I landed on Ahmadinejad. Um, and I don't, I'll just say it that way. Iran's former president, Ma, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad on Wednesday stunned the country by unexpectedly filing to run in the May presidential election, contradicting a recommendation from the Supreme Leader, leader to stay out of the race. Ahmadinejad's decision could append an election many believed would be won by moderate President Hassan Rouhani, who negotiated the nuclear deal with world powers. Though Rouhani has yet to formally register, many viewed him as a shoe-in following Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Ali Khamenei, possibly recommendation in September for Ahmadinejad to stand down and conservatives' inability to coalesce around a single candidate. Ahmadinejad's firebred style could prove appealing to hardliners seeking a tough-talking candidate who can stand up to the U.S. President Donald Trump. His candidacy also could expose the fissures inside Iranian Iranian politics that linger since he contested or his contested 2009 re-election which brought massive unrest so I thought that was interesting yeah that was called 
I remember that. That was shortly after, shortly after the Arab Spring, I believe. Or part of it. Now that I am trying to remember how long ago that was, but I remember people finding updates on Twitter and other sites from people within the protests or reporting from the protests. I remember some news of Ahmadinejad's uh, alleged disappearance after some tensions. But I don't know how valid those were. Well, anyway, I thought he went off to his hometown for a while to be a professor of sorts at a college. So, interesting news that he's trying to get back into politics. Let's see what Yahoo News commenters are saying regarding this. Al says if he ran for president in the U.S., I bet a lot of Democrats would vote for him. Top comment on Yahoo News here. I'm Adidijad, a terrorist in charge of all the nuclear power that Obama gave to Iran. Hmm. That's just great, stupid, worthless Democrats, says Michael. And so on and so on and so on. Well, I think that's it for me. This has been Caldwell Madison Review, episode 55. We are live Mondays and Thursdays for the time being at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Probably taking a summer vacation from the live stuff and we'll be uploading random episodes as I have time for a few months and then going back to live episodes in the fall. That's the idea I'm toying with anyway. Nothing set in stone yet. But for the time being, yes, Monday and Thursdays, 8 o'clock Central Time. And uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll hope to catch you next time.